Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So last Sunday, we introduced our uh, kind of theme or emphasis or through line for all of 2024. Uh, So throughout this year, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to reimagine our faith or maybe rebuild our faith or whatever kind of reword you need. Really, the point is that I believe and I want for you that you can have a faith that's worth keeping, a faith that's worth holding on to, a faith that's worth passing down, that faith really can be worth it. And in spite of all the inputs that I know many of us have had, in spite of all of our doubts and our pain and our trauma and all of that is real, I do think that our faith can be worth keeping. And so uh, this year we're going to be talking about that, about how to practice these spiritual disciplines, maybe in a new way with less shame and guilt? And how do we read the Bible in a way that isn't harmful, that really gives us life and that is interesting and helps us grow and heal? And we're going to start the year by walking through our confession of faith, this prayer we just said together about the faith we're seeking. And we're going to walk through these five ideas together because we say it every week, and I want us to all kind of have a shared understanding of what we mean when we say these things. Uh, So a little bit of context on this. So I, I wrote this confession of faith um, about almost exactly three years ago. We were still really in the middle of the pandemic. Our church gathered. We were meeting outside in the parking lot off of Main Street. There was like maybe 40 of us getting together. And um, I had just had like meeting after meeting after meeting with some of you about your journeys and about your spirituality and about your faith. And pretty much every meeting went the same where someone would say, I know for sure, like I am 100% sure, I don't want to express my faith in the way that I used to. Like that, I can't do that anymore. Whatever that was, whatever version of that was, I can't do that anymore, but I still want something. This still feels important to me. And so I wrote this confession of faith as kind of a framework or just a starting place, some sort of foundation to say, I get that a lot of us are saying, I can't do, I can't do whatever that was anymore, but what could this look like? And so I wrote this, and um, we've said it pretty much every week together now uh, for like 150 Sundays. And to be honest, it might be the thing I'm most proud of. Like, I've said a lot of words into microphones over the last decade, uh, but those feel the most like what I actually want to embody as a, as a person. And so I'm very grateful that you guys say them with me every week because it feels so important uh, to me. And so this week, we're starting right at the be- beginning and talking about what it means to have an expansive faith, a faith where our theological systems are growing wider and including more. I was in a good mood when I wrote this confession of faith, I think, you know? Uh, So very famously in the year 2000, the founders of Netflix finally got a meeting uh, with the Blockbuster CEO. Have you guys heard this story? Netflix went in and uh, asked if Blockbuster would acquire them. They would purchase them. And Netflix's pitch was, we'll take care of all of the online video, and you guys keep your retail stores, and we'll combine forces. And the Blockbuster CEO laughed them out of the room. And famously, when they left, he told the other folks in the room, we can't do that. This is the way we've always done it. That's the famous phrase. This is the way we've always done it. They clearly had a recipe that was working, right? Smelly stores, bad teenage employees, huge boxes of candy. What's not not to like about that? And I... And I know many of you were given this sort of blockbuster kind of faith, that this is the way we've always done it was kind of the whole point of everything. 
from like the color of the carpet. Anybody ever argue about how the sanctuary looked at church? Very important stuff. Two big theological ideas. And over and over again, my faith was kind of defined by this phrase. Well, this is the way we've always done it. My doubts and questions were dismissed because this is the way we've always done it. Women were stepped over. LGBTQ folks were harmed and excluded. The name of God was used to propagate all sorts of political ideas because this is the way we've always done it. And um, I don't think that we can do it like that anymore. Richard Rohr says this, religion tends to prefer and protect the status quo or the supposedly wonderful past, yet what we now see is that religion often simply preserves its own power and privilege. God does not need our protecting. We often worship old things as substitutes for eternal things. Maybe if nothing else you'll just hear today, God doesn't need you to protect God. But this is the way we've always done it, was our way of protecting those old things. Not failing to see that there was maybe something deeper happening that we might could connect to. And so today, I just want us to hear, as we talk about having an expansive faith that's growing wider with these systems that are including more, that we're rejecting this idea that this is the way we've always done it has to define our religious experience. And I know for a lot of you, you're sitting here, and that is your first way of saying, I'm not doing it like I used to do it. But we are rejecting these ideas so that we can embrace an expansive faith. Uh, Jesus lived at, at a time period uh, called Second Temple Judaism. And that's because it was the second time the temple had been built. It's a very creative name uh, given. But it's a hyper-religious time. So um, it, it, it is... Um, you know, the Israelites had always had laws and rules and customs. We get all that. If you've read, you know, like the book of Leviticus, you get that there are rules, right? But uh, at this specific time and place, in this period called Second Temple Judaism, where Jesus shows up, um, it is the most religious, the most rigid, the most harsh time kind of in the history of Israel. And then Jesus shows up, and he is a kind of revolutionary inside of this religious system. So Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, but his main foil in the story are the other religious systems and leaders. Now, Jesus isn't fighting with people outside of the religious system. Right? All of Jesus' adversaries, all of the people Jesus is in arguments with, are the other religious folks. Because Jesus steps into this system that is rigid and harsh and he comes as this real revolutionary. You could imagine that the mission statement of the religion that Jesus steps into was, this is how we've always done it. And then we get in Jesus's ministry, this one sermon that's recorded in um, two, three of the gospels as Jesus's first sermon. This is what Jesus is walking around from town to town preaching. It's the way he starts his ministry. Over and over and over again, Jesus preaches the same message. And, and it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here, is what some of, them, some of the translations say. And we think a lot of times of this word repent uh, as, you know, in terms of sin, so to sin less so that you don't go to hell. We think of it in terms of uh, street preachers and big signs with really bad handwriting usually that say repent. 
Any better graphic designers on the street preachers, if anybody wants to get in that game. But repentance is a word that simply means change your mind. So you can just imagine that as Jesus steps in to the most rigid, the most religious, the most harsh environment, as a religious leader, Jesus' first, the first word of Jesus' first sermon is walking around saying, you need to change your mind. You need to do something different. I know that this is the way you've always done it, but it's time to change. Change your mind. Repent. Right? Jesus' main message, this is the introduction, the thesis statement to everything else he says. All the other amazing parables that we walked through last fall, all of this other teaching about love and compassion is rooted in this idea. You need to move from where you're standing right now. In repentance, this ability and willingness to change where we are, to change our minds, to change our way of thinking, to change our framework, our ability to repent, that is our first step towards an expansive faith. That's how we kind of dismantle our this is how we've always done it way of thinking. Just our ability to say, this is how we've always done it, but now I'm going to change. I'm willing to repent And the change here that Jesus is preaching about over and over and over again is to realize that the kingdom of God, the very presence of God, the power of God is here. Not somewhere else and not in the spaces or in the people that we consider holy or righteous or sacred. That the kingdom of God isn't reserved for something that happens after you die or even after you change your mind. That already, right now, God is here. And Jesus walked to the next place and said, hey, great news, God is here too. And then he walked and he sat with other sinners and folks that weren't included in any other spaces and said, I have good news. God is here too. God is here and here and here and here. And this is Jesus's big message. You need to change your mind about the way that you're seeing God. And the places and the people that you consider righteous and sacred and holy, that's not just where God is. God is here and over there and right here and way over there. You need to expand. Your system of thinking needs to get wider. Change your mind. Because as we expand and change our minds about God, that's what naturally happens. That our view of God, that our theological systems should be getting wider, more inclusive. Right? We don't, we don't change our minds and get less loving. You don't say, wow, this um, good news of Jesus turns out to be less loving than I thought before. Wow, I learned some new things about God, and God is a little bit more mean than I used to think. That's never how anyone progresses or moves in their way of being. That we say, I keep learning new things, and it turns out um, God is even more loving. God is even more inclusive. God is even more beautiful than I thought before. That's the good news, that we keep showing up into new spaces with new kinds of people that maybe we used to think of as not so sacred or not so holy, and we say, wow, what good news, God is here. And then you get to expand just a little bit more. Ephesians 3 says it like this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, saying, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Sometimes it's translated all understanding. 
You see the picture that the love of Christ is wider than our brains can kind of understand, that it's higher and deeper and it goes further. It, it is expanding and reaching out in ways we can't really understand. And so every time we take another step outward, outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zone, outside of this is the way we've always done it, we find out the good news that God is there too. So we should allow ourselves to open up and expand. We should gravitate towards a more inclusive, a more loving, a more compassionate gospel because the love of God is wider, bigger than we can imagine. We never find out that God is less loving. We always change our minds towards more beauty, more goodness, more inclusion. And in general, I know you guys are like in for this idea. This kind of humility and open-mindedness, this expansion towards a more loving and gracious and beautiful good news. Like, I know, I know you like it. You're sitting here today. Some of you are taking notes. Some of you are not taking notes, and now you feel bad about not taking notes, which was exactly my plan. I'm just kidding. Notes make me nervous. I'm like, you're writing this stuff down. <laughs> But I know, I know in general you're in for this idea, but it is hard. It is really hard to embrace this. And here's why. Because pretty much all of us were given some form of fundamentalism. And I know that's a loaded word, and you're like, no, 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 I wasn't fundamentalist. But just listen. We might have been given different flavors of fundamentalism. Maybe some of you, you know, maybe it was less long denim skirts, and more purity culture shame, but all of us were given some sort of fundamentalism. And what fundamentalism does is it builds a box, and you set your beliefs inside of the box, whatever the beliefs are. You can have any sort of beliefs and be a fundamentalist. You can be a super conservative fundamentalist. You can be a liberal fundamentalist. It doesn't matter. Fundamentalism is about the framework we set our beliefs inside of. Then we say, okay, this box that we've built for our beliefs it is right. And everything outside of these lines, these boundaries, this box that we've built, everything outside of that box is wrong. And all the people that exist outside of my safe little box, all of those people are wrong. And I'm 100% right. And I feel really good and safe right here where I'm standing with these boundaries that I've built for myself. And everyone outside, uh, I get to stand above them a little bit, judge them for not yet being inside of this safe, good place, being 100% right. But hopefully, maybe one day, if they work hard enough, they'll get right where I am. And we build a box with lines and boundaries. It's black and white. It's good and bad. Right? There are walls. And then sometimes we get a new set of beliefs. And a lot of you have done this. Maybe we do come, become a little bit more inclusive, or we understand God to be a little bit more loving. But often, we keep the box. We just like move over a little bit, and we say, cool, now I'm 100% right over there. And back where I used to be, all those people, they're so wrong. And if they work hard enough, then they'll come over here with me and be 100% right with me. And I get to feel safe and just right inside my box of beliefs. All of us were giving some version of this, maybe with a different set of beliefs. But we often just keep the boundaries and the lines, and the box that we've built, and we move our beliefs around, and we sit inside of them, above everyone else, silently judging the people who aren't yet where we are, believing we're a little bit better, maybe acting like we're praying for them, but we're not praying for them. 
believing that eventually they might get where we are. Right? And you can be a conservative fundamentalist, you can be a liberal fundamentalist, it doesn't matter. It's about the lines, the boundaries, the container that we build for our beliefs. And that container, it keeps us safe, it makes us feel good. It's nice to be certain. It's nice to feel safe inside of our, our set of beliefs. I get it. But those boundaries aren't just keeping the bad stuff out. They keep us in. They keep us from experiencing those other things that aren't actually bad. And it's when we're able to step outside of that box that we say, oh man, God is here too. Fundamentalism has been especially hard uh, for me to break free from because uh, fundamentalism of any kind, doesn't matter if it's political, um, theological, it doesn't matter, but fundamentalism always connects with our identities, with who we are. So this is who I am. It's not just what I believe, it's a part of who I am. So some of us, um, we have we have connected our political beliefs to who we are. And we've turned them into, now listen, I'll just speak as someone who considers themselves to be, you know, I'll just say progressive leaning. Have you guys heard progressives talk about people who aren't liberal and demonize them in a way that we haven't just connected this to our identity, we've said that other people's beliefs impact their identities. So now we've set inside our box and we say, those people are actually, they're bad people. That's not what we're supposed to do. But it's especially hard for me because um, right, the, the set of beliefs, this way of thinking, this box that I was given, it connects to my identity. And then, you know, conservative Christian fundamentalism has its own issues. And um, one of them is that uh, I was taught from a very early age, that I was inherently sinful and bad. And so it wasn't just my identity that got connected to my set of beliefs. It was my self-worth. So because I, intrinsically, I believed I had no self-worth. And maybe you connect with this idea. I believed intrinsically that I had no self-worth. So then what I had to do was find an external thing to find my worth in. And I chose, as a good Southern Baptist who wanted to study the Bible, I chose that external thing to be my set of beliefs. And I needed to be 100% right about them. And I went to a good Baptist college and I studied those beliefs and I got even more sure. And I said, great, I have no intrinsic work worth, but I will be 100% certain about this external thing and I will put my self-worth in being sure about this. I can be comfortable here. I will find some worth, some value in this. And that was okay with me. But then my belief started to change, and it got hard. Anyone been through this process? Woo! And that shifted my identity. Because I couldn't be over here anymore. And I couldn't find all my worth in this external thing. And sometimes we find a different external thing to put our worth in. But what I decided to do was just to become 100% sure about a different set of beliefs. It was like, that worked for me before, I'll do it again. And so I stayed a fundamentalist, a little bit more progressive, but I stayed a fundamentalist. I built a new box and I said, I'm 100% right. And these people that sit outside, they're so conservative. They don't understand the Bible like I understand the Bible. They don't understand politics like I understand politics. And I demonized people, I othered people that didn't agree with me because I had built this box. 
And I thought I was right and everyone else was wrong. I needed to be right because I needed an external thing to validate my self-worth. And I really believed, I think, that if I was wrong about these theological beliefs, then at my core, I was unworthy. This is how I I gained worthiness in the world and in the sight of God, was about being right. That I couldn't be wrong and worthy at the same time. And my faith only started to expand and grow and change and escape all of those ideas when I embraced my own belovedness, my own intrinsic worth. Right? I had to learn and unlearn and stand firm in this idea that nothing outside of me gets to decide or define how worthy or loved I am. So th- there's not a belief or a view, or a vote, or a person, or a pastor that gets to define how worthy or loved I am. Maybe let me just say it for you, that for you, there is not a belief. You believing one thing or another. There is not a view, political, ideological, or otherwise. There is not a person, there is not a vote, there is not a pastor that gets to define or decide for you how loved or worthy you are. You are intrinsically loved. You are beloved, and there's nothing you can do about it. I can be wrong. You can be wrong. You are wrong. I am wrong. We can be wrong, and we can still be worthy. Isn't that good news? Fundamentalism is about the lines, the boundaries, the container that we use to keep ourselves in and keep ourselves safe. We demonize other people. We keep the bad stuff out. But ultimately, it just locks us inside of ever realizing that God is there and there and there and there. And if we keep it, if we keep the box, then we'll never be free. So if you want to be free, if you want a faith that's worth keeping, a faith that's worth holding on to, a faith that's worth passing down, then repent. Change your mind. And then do it again and again. And admit that you were wrong. And be okay with being wrong. Express out loud that you were wrong about some stuff. Expand and reject fundamentalism in all its forms. Listen, this is a a conversation mostly about our ability to change, right? Just our, our ability to change. So for you, how do you deal with change of any kind? Are you a person that can handle change? And some of you are with your partners, and maybe I should ask them how you deal with change. And maybe you could think today or this week about whether there's anything in your life that you've changed your mind about recently. A view, political idea, a theological belief. Is there anything you've changed your mind about recently? And if you haven't, maybe think about that for a little while. And if you have, maybe um, take a few minutes and say, am I wrong about that one too? Just be willing to say, maybe I'm wrong again. And then for you, what would it look like to actively reject this idea of fundamentalism, that we build a box, a container to set ourselves inside of, to keep ourselves safe with all of our 100% right views? What would it look like to kind of push against that and practice repentance, practice change over and over again? Or maybe it starts by kind of noticing when you are resistant to change, that something just, a little alarm goes off in your brain. You go, oh yeah, I am uh, not so good at change. You just notice a little bit. 
Or maybe it would be helpful for you um, to, you know, read or interact with on some level some people that hold different positions than you. And I know that that sounds scary. I'm not asking you to put yourself in any environments that may not be good or safe or healthy for you, but read a book. Think about it a little bit. Maybe don't call your meanest uncle, but, you know, try to see if there's someone that you could interact with. Uh, Just a book, a podcast, something to say, you know, there are real people, other beloved people on the other side of all of these ideas. Maybe I should hear from them because I'm probably not 100% right all of the time. Or maybe you could consider uh, what beliefs or ideas or practices you currently hold that you need to get rid of. That maybe you could admit this week, where are you wrong? And just practice being wrong. I'm okay being wrong. I can be wrong about things and still be worthy. Just maybe make a little list. You know, again, maybe ask your partner, could you tell me some things I'm wrong about? (laughs) They'll help you out if you need some help. But maybe just practice that and say, I need to be okay with being wrong. This is how we make space to expand. We go, I might need to get rid of some of these things that are not so healthy. We, We make room by leaving behind some of these less loving ideas. And just, just practice being wrong. Right? If you want a faith worth keeping and holding on to and passing down, then seek an expansive faith. Change your mind. Expand in the direction of belovedness for yourself and for others. Uh, do you guys know the, the phrase uh, living document? Like may, maybe you've heard it in terms of the Constitution or the Bible. Is the Constitution a living document? Maybe you've heard some really fun, exciting debates about that. I went to Christian college, so we talked about that kind of stuff a lot. Surprisingly, more about the Constitution than the Bible. <laughs> Not that surprisingly. But um, in short, a document of any kind, it's living if it's allowed to change. A document is living if it's allowed to change. And I think that that is a pretty good definition of what it means for anything to be alive. If you are alive, you are changing. You're allowed to grow. You're allowed to review and edit. If you're alive, you are changing. It's just true. And so now if you would do me a favor, we do this every once in a while. If you would take your hand and put it over your heart and feel your heart beating. Maybe take a deep breath in and out. And feel the breath as you inhale and exhale. You are alive. And what a gift your life is. And if you are alive, then you are changing. It is just true. So embrace this expansive way of living. Grow towards belovedness. And throw every box away that keeps you in and others out. Erase the lines. Knock down the walls. Repent. You are alive and you are changing. Hallelujah. What good news. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. Find your place in the evolving, expanding story of God, and trust that with every expansion comes more inclusion, more love, more joy, and more freedom. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.